Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Not Safe for Wonks. You know what it is. It is the show that is so good, so sweet, and you are here with us, and we love it. I'm Kennedy Cooper. I'm Leia Rose. Uh, my name's Drake. And joining us today, we have an incredible guest, Chris Armitage, who is running for Washington's 5th District for Congress. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, I'm happy to be here. I appreciate it. We were just talking uh, before we started recording about how important it is to help get progressive congressional candidates national attention. And, uh, you know, one of the things I tell, because I know a lot of people who, um, you know, are really concerned with the presidential race. I personally don't believe any of those presidential candidates, no matter how conservative they are of a Democrat, would veto something like single payer Medicare for all if it made it through both houses of Congress. Mm -hmm. So it's just mm -hmm. that important. You know, we would have had public option in 2008 if it wasn't for Democrats, if it wasn't for blue dog corporate Democrats. Absolutely. Yeah. Nancy Pelosi. If it wasn't for Joe Lieberman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chris, you'll soon find out but fans of this show are very passionate about having a progressive congress in 2020 and i have to say that looking over your platform i think you are definitely someone to support and look at so why don't you tell us though in your own words just a little bit about who you are and why you started running yeah you know uh right now our slogan's not for sale and that really says a lot. Although we've been thinking about switching it up to maybe um, cute as a button, tough as nails. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that's a good one. For those of you who haven't seen Chris's announcement yet, he is a very handsome man who takes care of that beard so nice. I'm going to have to get some beard chips after the show, perhaps. <laughs> like, respect, respectfully, Chris, you look like the theoretical good-looking Chapo host. <laughs> <laughs> just all the neck beard energy just distills into a good looking person mm -hmm. <laughs> uh well i appreciate oh. it the, the beard's there for a reason uh two people i know hate my beard that's my mom and oh. uh, the last guy i dated both of them hated it everybody else uh seems pretty happy and if i got rid of it you know i, just, I want that distinguished look that's why i keep the beard um, mm. <laughs> but, um you, know, you know a lot of presidents before they had beards and they looked pretty good but now we're going well, now we're doing away with it presidents haven't had beards we got to get back into the swing of things you know what i think really is going to be the next big step is um because you you've, you folks have, have any of you seen the venture bros the show oh, yeah i think i know yeah you see, I'm a Zoomer, so I haven't. But Ken is a millennial, so he has. Yeah, I'm the uh, I'm the Zoomer. I'm a Zoomer who stayed up past 10 a.m. Uh, 10 p.m. So I know what the venture was. Is. <laughs> I was really thinking that Brock Samson, um, like, what is it? He, a perm, but it's also a mullet and it's blonde. Mm. I think mm. that's really going to be the next iteration <laughs> and the chops. I I am on board with this. Like political haircuts have seen an evolution just as rich as actual policies. We need big hair in politics. Like, that's the conclusion we're already making on this episode. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, so let's, if, if the let's public to... demands it. Oh, sorry, back to the subject at hand. <laughs> yeah, let, let's uh, dig into running for Congress. Okay, got it. Why am I running back into for running Congress? for Congress somehow with big hair, or not. Yeah. <laughs> I like I like the tone on this on this podcast a lot. The last one I did, I was getting all riled up talking about some stuff that that was making me angry. But you know, I do I like the positive energy, and that's 
that's uh you know this is a campaign of optimism i hopped into this race i was, I was just talking to a friend one day and uh, I said, I really wish someone would unseat our terrible incumbent. Mm. And I don't want to ha- be asked to hold my nose and vote for another corporate Democrat because I can't trust them to give my family, my friends, my community, healthcare, living wage, right. economic mobility, justice. And so my friend said, why don't you run? And I, I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm too young. Uh, I haven't held office before, you know, I don't have the pedigree. And he said, well, who do you want to vote for? And I said, I want to vote for someone young, someone who hasn't held office, you know, who's an outsider. <laughs> I want to, like all the things I was listing that were barriers to me running were exactly mm-hmm. what, who I wanted to vote for. And, you know, for the last two years, I've been a, pro- a professional stand-up comic and I've been doing comedy for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the things that was a real turning point for me was when I started writing jokes that I found funny. And, you know, mm. to translate that to politics, I think that that's really just like in, um, you know, Miyamoto Musashi said, you know, the way of the world isn't to know one or 10,000 things that tell you one thing. It's to know one thing that tells you 10,000 things. And, uh, you know, that, that carries over. I, if I am the type of person I would want to vote for, I believe other people will feel the same way, just whether it was comedy or art or, or anything else. And that's really proven itself to be true. So I hopped into this race because I am not going to hold my nose and vote for another corporate Democrat. I'm done with it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're, you're actually, you're running literally against Kathy McMorris Rogers who fucking blows. Pardon me. <laughs> people knew. No, here's the, you know, part of the problem with Kathy McMorris Rogers is she is good at not talking. Like she keeps her, mm-hmm. she is good at keeping a low profile considering what a terrible mm-hmm. person she is. Um, like she, in 2018, she, at our debates, she uh, was still against marriage equality. Most of the Republicans in our district don't give a damn who you marry. They do not, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but she really sincerely believes that. And she, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, tear into her a little bit on this one. Um, oh, she, feel free. Yeah. She got her bachelor's from a non-accredited university. It's now accredited, but it was not then. <laughs> then uh, <laughs> that's true. Um, was it DeVry University? <laughs> it was DeVry University. Not DeVry, DeVry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 it was a knockoff brand, DeVry. <laughs> so she went to a non-accredited university. Then she was appointed to a state legislature position. And she did that for a while. In 1998, in the Washington State Legislature, there was a bill proposed that said, let's change the word in all Washington State documents, change the word Oriental to the word Asian. And she voted against that. And she didn't just vote <laughs> against it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, I, like I, I knew Washington was racist, but like, 1998, oh. that's when we still had Oriental in the state language? Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> She didn't just vote against that. She felt so strongly, she released a public statement on it. No. Yes, and she's, she released a public statement, and she said, you know, I think we just need to keep things the same. Why go changing everything? Why change the racist stuff? Guys, it's been racist forever. Just keep it racist, right? That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, why stop now? <laughs> Yeah, you know, the the racism's been going pretty good. Why stop the racism? <laughs> and then, so he, here's here's the, the next chapter for her. So she was appointed to that seat. Then she was appointed to her current seat. 
She's never run as a new candidate. She's only ever run as an incumbent. Wow. Jesus. Talk about a freaking cushy political career right there. <laughs> you know, this is funny, too, because we were we just recorded an interview recently with Jason Call. And um, in that, he was also talking about how Richard Larson just avoids talking to people. Is this like a Washington moderate Democrat strategy? Are they getting together behind closed doors and, you know, conspiring about how not to talk to anyone? <laughs> Well, I, and I, I'm one of the few progressives challenging a Republican incumbent. And in a lot of ways, I'm happy about that. I, it can get so much more brutal when you're dealing with the inner party politics. I'm on the other side of the state. Washington's a huge state. My district mm -hmm. is bigger than New Jersey. It's 25% bigger than New Jersey. Mm -hmm. It takes five or six hours to drive because it's from the Oregon border up to, uh, up to the Canadian border. And all alongside uh, Idaho. And so we don't have a lot of that, the, the west side of the state inter-Democrat politics because we don't, we don't have plus 15 blue districts over here. My district's plus nine red, but also we haven't run serious candidates in, uh, in the last 25 years. We ran one candidate last election who raised a ton of money, but I'm just going to call it what it is. She was Hillary Clinton light. You know, mm. she's been in our state politics for 30 years. She had a record that you could attack. Yeah. And, and that's and, and a lot of she probably likes Hillary Clinton. Nancy Pelosi called a called our, our Democrat candidate in 2018 and, and they were pretty cool. And that's the wing of the party she represents. And, and that's why I'm in this race is because I believe I'm the most electable candidate we're going to have in this district. And I don't think that's an unreasonable statement. So for, I, I know you guys did a little bit of research, but here's my background. I, I have a master's of science in Homeland Security and an undergrad in criminal justice. I earned those while I was active duty Air Force. I served two enlistments as active duty at our Air Force base here in our district. I did military police work and worked as the military equivalent of a 911 operator. I deployed overseas to the Middle East twice where I did security and base defense operations control work. Uh, I've owned small businesses. I'm a comfortable public speaker because of my stand-up comedy background. And, um, you know, to circle around to what I mentioned earlier, I'm cute as a button and tough as nails. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I imagine you might be a bit of a frustrating candidate for some people because you have one of those sort of ideal resumes that like it's almost like a Pete Buttigieg resume, right? Like this is, you know, uh, this is like the the like I'm I'm the guy who did all the right things. Suspicious energies. <laughs> <laughs> Except you're saying I'm taking all of that clout that i have and all of that like pedigree that i do have and i'm throwing it in behind the progressives sorry like <laughs> sorry not sorry that makes you a hard candidate to attack for a lot of people which i think is is kind of incredible especially for the district that you're running in it's my favorite <laughs> I'm kind of curious how you feel about your district in terms of a couple of issues in particular. Do you think that there is a viable lane for a progressive candidate in a district like yours? And if so, why? And also, do you think that your district, because it is sort of an obscure district for Democrats in a way that you're going to have an easier time kind of taking over? Oh, yeah. Well, and so, I mean, I know there were a few parts to that question, so I'll, I'll parse them out. So, yeah, Democrats don't have an establishment really here. It's it's pretty laughable. Like any there, there, there might not even be another Democrat in this race, uh, especially if we can fundraise. So this is a this is a unique, 
unique race. And mm. um, like you said, you know, I, I love um, the pushback when, like you said, I have that ideal resume and, and my, for anyone who's wondering where I stand on the issues, like I said, I'm here to be the politician I've always wanted to vote for. And so here's where I stand, single payer Medicare for all, tuition free public universities and trade schools. And on that, I'll mention that I've guarded $80 billion worth of bombs. And that's enough to pay for one year of public universities and trade schools in America. You know, with the Green New Deal, we're holding Green New Deal forums and single payer Medicare for all forums. Mm -hmm. We're holding Income Justice Act forums, which is an original piece of legislation I'm proposing and getting other candidates to co-endorse. And yes, there's a progressive lane because progressives have more in common with everyone in the 99% and even with your, your you know, working class MAGA folks than an establishment Democrat does by a million miles. Because it's not mm -hmm. a straight line spectrum. You know, we, it's, it's about, um, you know, character and ethics. And progressivism is the only political lane that has a complete line you can draw through it where our ethics line up with our policies. You know where a progressive stands on an issue before you even ask them, because you know that's the ethical lane. You know which one is. If I'm going to be with someone who's extreme, I want it to be extremely empathetic people, not yeah. uh, extremely racist people. Our extremists <laughs> want to help people at least. So that's a that's a, a good sign. The radical left is radical about helping people and maybe they shouldn't die of capitalism. And the radical right is like, maybe we should kill all of the minorities. Yeah, I think uh, McMorris Rogers actually voted on the kill all minorities uh, bill. That seems believable, given all that we know so far. Oh, it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, not going to lie. Mm -hmm. HR 35, it just barely didn't pass the Senate. Well, thank God it was just a resolution, but, you know, mm. it's just a, it's a goal. It was a non-binding resolution to kill all minorities, okay? It wasn't, it wasn't yeah. an it was actual... It like a declaration of intent. <laughs> yeah, you can't, come on. Oh, back to the lane. Okay, so I'm circling around. Uh, so the progressive lane, yes, there's room for a progressive to win. You know, I was at a city council meeting a few months ago, and this, uh, there's this, this guy who wears a MAGA hat and has a big old staff and a big long beard. Think um, like Dumbledore with a MAGA hat. And uh, <laughs> are you picturing that? Can you see it? Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it's beautiful. it. Right. And he's got this big <laughs> bow staff. And, um, <laughs> and he walks into city council and he slams the bow staff down. And he says, I'm sick of you. You just gave $100,000 of our tax dollars to this business downtown. They got themselves a new fountain. The sidewalk in front still looks terrible. And people look at our city council here and they say, oh, these people are the it's, it's nonpartisan. But they say these are the Democrats or the liberals and these are conservatives or Republicans. There's one progressive on that city council and it's her versus everybody else. Oof. She's the one dissenting vote every time. If people think that we have a majority progressive city council, no, we have a neoliberal city council. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk and uh, discussions we've had with other Washington candidates that about the big divide in the Washington Democratic scene, and I'd imagine other states of the kind of corporate Amazon neoliberal Democrats versus the like actual progressives Democrats. And yeah, like uh, there, there's a lot of people who kind of smear, as you've been saying, oh, they have a progressive majority, and look at the things they're not doing. But like, it's it's Amazon Democrats, man. They're not going to do shit. Yeah, the, the perception of Washington State is a little bit skewed, but uh, people like Chris yeah. here can help change it to be more in line with the way people think about Washington. 
yeah. Well, we have one of the biggest racists in the entire country uh, to hold elected office right in the town I live in. And he, he holds a state legislature seat. He's under FBI investigation right now. Uh, um, he's a Republican. Wow. And what's his name? Should I? I don't. I mean, I'm sure you could Google it. If you just Google like biggest racist in, in the United States or in Washington state, he's a GOP <laughs> representative. Like I'm not, a, I don't, I'm not against it. I was, it was told to me that I shouldn't say his name because it'll like increase his profile because he got retweeted by Trump mm. recently too. Oof. Yeah, sometimes no platforming is the best policy, and I'm gonna agree this time for yeah. sure. Let's 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 not give this guy even the the courtesy of his name on our show. Yeah, he's he's a racist dipshit, and that's all that needs to be said. Well, he's more than like he is beyond the pale. He uh he was our our sheriff out here. Oh wait, I gotta finish that story. So, oh, sure, sure. Uh, but basically, the MAGA guy and the progressive were like in solidarity at city council. <laughs> she, the progressive woman, is like she's t- 28 years old, and she's like, heck yeah. And her and the MAGA guy were it was them versus everybody else. <laughs> and then all of the other city council members went on five minute spiels about how important it is that we give our tax dollars to to corporations um, in defense of it. But uh, gosh, where was what was on the last thing I was talking about before that? The sheriff and oh yeah, our sheriff's uh, a Trump supporter. Racist knucklehead. <laughs> our sheriff is a Trump supporter, and mm. he reported that racist uh, state representative to the FBI mm. because wow. the that's the thing when a Trump supporter reports you to the FBI for being racist, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're really pushing some buttons. <laughs> and <laughs> our so that state representative wrote a manifesto, and it called for holy war. He's actually Oof. this is. True. You can look this up. Wow. Um, is he some kind of three percenter or something? He's a he is openly a Christian dominionist. He attends okay. a local church that's all white. Um, that oh, uh, has aggressive protests at Planned Parenthood. He's probably one of those people that wants like part of Washington, part of Idaho to form a Christian state, right? Liberty state. Yeah. He's one, yeah. Of, the, he's one of the main people behind that. Yeah. We table near each other. <laughs> like I'll have a table for my for my campaign and at events around town, and he'll be at a table for the Liberty State. Um, and I can talk about how idiotic that is because Idaho has an income tax, and that's how they get away with not having things like you know other tax. Like they're they're okay, they're dumb. We know it. Yeah, honestly, that must just be surreal. Just like sitting a few tables down from someone like that, trying to like have normal political conversations with people. <laughs> No, we're, it's not even surreal. We're on the edge here. This is, this is some real America shit right here. I know I said I was going to try and not curse, but my district, this district is, is a microcosm of what's going on in this country, in this, in the country as a whole, because we have this growing, um, proud LGBTQ community that I'm a part of. I'd be the first openly bisexual man elected to Congress. And, you know, this community is, if like, depending on how the 2020 election goes, I'm really a little concerned to see how how things end up here because um, we have a large mm. part of our community that I don't, I don't know. I think they might take to the streets with um, with guns if Trump told them to that that exists out here. Can't discount the possibility. Yeah, not at this point. No, mm. you know, this is a dangerous place to run as a Democrat. But I know there's people throughout this community who, like me, who deserve, you know, someone who's going to step up and not out of fear, just be Republican light. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And to to get back a little bit on 
the path of, you know, progressive lanes in rural, uh, relatively conservative districts such as yours, we have seen the ability for people, you know, running for Congress and other office such as yourself to speak to working class issues in a way that's able to step across the party line, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, uh, I think that's that's how we a, a progressive is more electable. I mean, we we had some internal polling done, and my background really resonates with independents and conservatives. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, we're working on raising money, and one of the things we want to do is uh, an ad campaign that talks about because you know Democrats do worse than Democrat policies when it comes to polling. When you put a ballot measure out there to increase the minimum wage or, or for anything that most Democrats stand for, they usually pass. But you run a Democrat and it doesn't do as well. Medicare for all is more popular than Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> and um, <laughs> but um, we're working on this uh, ad campaign targeted at people to show them the policies that they're actually going to get because um, you know I'm I'm sick of politicians who aren't just going to say what the heck they believe in, and that's why Bernie Sanders is more popular with Fox News viewers than MSN viewers is because corporate mm-hmm. Democrats are the most alienated uh, from the working class. At least the Republicans get it. They understand the message that the working class wants to hear, even if that's not what they do. Mm-hmm. But the the Democratic establishment is um, wayward. They, they just are, are lost. They're blind. They I'm the, one of the local leaders out here of the Democrat, one of the Democratic groups was like, you're, you know, our last candidate lost with five million dollars. So you're going to need seven million. <laughs> Dang. Does it go up by two million every time you lose? It's it's it's, it's, ranks, it's like uh, the funding arms race. <laughs> it's idiotic. You don't need. Yeah. Like, it, it's they just are completely oblivious. You know these these establishment candidates lose votes every time they meet people. I mean, whether it's Republican <laughs> or Democrat. Yeah, I think that's honestly pretty true. Um, let's change topics a little bit. Yeah. And I want to I want to talk about your background. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'd like to start first with being bisexual or just being LGBT in general in the military, because I think that's something that is a very like still really contentious thing in our country right now. Is it OK to be openly LGBT in the military is still like a question that has not been answered as a country. So, yeah, if you could just kind of like uh, jump into some of how you experienced that and interacted with that and where you think things are kind of going in, in that realm. Yeah. Well, it's a really big bummer that um, Pete Buttigieg had to kind of steal my thunder, <laughs> you know. Uh- <laughs> Unfortunately, he's. I don't think uh, I don't think he has at all. I, I think there's a lot of thunder left to steal. Guys... <laughs> oh I'll my talk. god, we need to hashtag refund Pete and give it to Chris. Yeah, <laughs> refund Pete and give it to Chris. That might be the name of this episode. Yeah, that's, that's, that's <laughs> yes. a good idea. Yeah, I think it's I think it's time for somebody to steal Pete's thunder, and I think it's you, Chris. <laughs> I might need to do that. I've really been trying not to go after any of the presidential candidates, but I'm just saying, if you donated to him because of who you thought he was, that's who I actually am. So let's go for it. Oh, that's better than robbing Pete to pay Joe. (laughs) But uh, I mean, I I didn't come out until right near the end of the time I was in. 
And uh, there was a lot of fear, you know, I'm actually uh, talking to some groups, uh, a group at a local community college down in Walla Walla or a local college in Walla Walla about hosting a toxic masculinity forum and talking a lot about my time in the military and law enforcement. When I first joined, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was still in effect. Do you mind telling us what year you enlisted? 2010. Okay. Mm. I know. You're like, it was still around in 2010. Yep. It didn't get repealed until I believe 2012. Jeez, I didn't. Mm. I didn't know that actually. I know you think like, oh, it was it was repealed in what ninety six or nope, it was it was no. twenty twelve. But I worked side by side with investigators who had previously investigated uh, homosexual conduct. That was their job. That's what they were investigating. Imagine, I think about how disgusting and authoritarian that is. That's just honestly terrifying to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, they got people kicked out of the military for it. And, you know, they were going to motels and <clears throat> you'd find a lieutenant. These are the stories I heard. You'd find a lieutenant and you'd, you'd be like, you're going to tell me who you were hooking up with if they were in the military. And then we won't kick you out. That kind of stuff. In interrogation rooms, who were you conducting in homosexual conduct with? You know, so it was, uh, it was, it was, it was um, really disturbing to hear that kind of stuff. And then I saw all this progress. I saw trans troops allowed to openly serve. I worked with two or three of them. And then I saw that get taken away. Mm-hmm. I didn't think oh. we'd move backward. I, it shows my naivety. It really, I, I believed that we had made this progress and then I saw it start to move backwards. Yeah. Um, yeah. trans issues are definitely something that I'm terrified about you know being one of them and it's great having my rights rolled back and shit yeah yeah it's um it's pretty horrific what's going on and uh it's why we got to fight a huge proportion of our campaign is part of the trans community and um i remember uh, someone i'm close to uh, an older person a boomer um <laughs> they said why are you talking about your sexuality and of course they're a straight white older person and they said why why are you talking about your sexuality to talk about the issues and um i said people deserve to know that they're not alone yeah it's really that simple congratulations that you are so represented but other people should know hey you know there's people of color running there's um people part of the lgbtq community there are you know all these different types of folks out there and you know it's so insulting this idea that you just have to be, you know, a cookie cutter to run. And, and isn't it beautiful? We live in really the first the first era of U.S. history where you don't have to say, I'm a straight white man and here's my family and here's my church if you want to run for office. Uh, and how many people want to claw us back to those days? Yeah, well, that's and that's my representative. That's, that's uh, ours. Uh, yeah. I, I, I want to tell two stories real quick. Um, that's okay. Please. Yes. Uh, the first is a short one uh, about my opponent on LGBT rights, where she, right after her vote uh, against, she's voted against uh, same-sex marriage scores of times, but right after one of her votes on that, she made the following statement, Republicans are about empowering everyone, individuals, no matter who you are, no matter your background, and we have to reach out to people across this country. She said that after voting against same-sex marriage. Oh, they don't care. (laughs) Talk about fascists constructing a public. When they talk about individuals, they only talk about the individuals that, like, agree with them. She's also voted against bans on discrimination based on sexual orientation. Not surprising. She just believes this to her core. It's very obvious. It's very clear. This is just really what she believes. And so when I meet people and they say, oh, she's a nice person, congrats on not kicking, up, on not kicking puppies and on loving your kids. You're hurting people. People are dying. People are, 
suffering mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. all over the world. She's supporting wars all over the world. Uh, this is anecdotal, but someone recently told me they, they managed to get near her, which is not easy to do, and ask her about the genocide we're assisting in Yemen. And mm-hmm. she said, oh, I didn't know anything about that. Oh, my goodness. What the fuck? And then she proceeded to not do anything about it, I'm guessing. <laughs> right. Now that I know about it, I'm in favor. Is probably what she's <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, You know what this all reminds me of? And this is the real Zoomer in me. There is a television show called The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Oh, yeah. And the, 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 o- the owner of the hotel that the titular Zack and Cody lived in, was, he's called like Mr. Tipton. You never saw him in frame because he was surrounded by like tall bodyguard guys in turtle formation around him. <laughs> And I feel like that's a that's Kathy McForest Rogers. Whenever she goes outside, she's just flanked by large adult sons protecting her from anyone who would <laughs> discuss anything with her. Incredible. I'd say that's very accurate. She's taller than me, though. Uh, so people don't recognize me a lot of times in public because um, they say, well, they say, is that you? Oh, wow, you're way shorter than I expected. So I didn't recognize you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm five foot three. My face isn't any different. Don't worry, I'm, we, I'm little. We support manlet rights on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, I, oh gosh, where was he? Oh yeah. So anyway, she's terrible. That's, that's, I, I'll try and find, I'll, in the future, I'll make sure to bring on more fun stories um, because she just does such a good job of keeping her head down. She really wants to survive the Trump era. Today she called the impeachment a sham. Of course. On video. Of course. I just really want to rile people up and help them see how terrible yeah. she is. Oh, that's God. the problem. You know, these, when Republicans get up there and they say some, some crazy stuff on TV, their opponents uh, get a lot more attention and support. But she is just good at um, staying on script. Uh, now, the other thing I want to tell, uh, I want to talk about Tom Foley. So he's the last Democrat who knew how to win in this district. <laughs> he was also um, the Speaker of the House. And he was in my district right here. And he held office from 1964 to 1994. He lost in the Red Wave after the assault weapons ban. And by the way, Red Wave is the worst name uh, you could call a victory. Blue Wave sounds way better, but Red Wave it sounds pretty horrific. Like, is it blood? <laughs> is this that scene from The Shining? Like, Blue Wave, water, yes. I intuitively understand that. Red Wave. <laughs> Um, so he lost that election. Uh, a lot of the people in our district, this again, this is anecdotal, apparently believed that if you voted out a speaker of the house, the person you voted in became the speaker of the house. <laughs> uh, th- there's been a lot of, there, there's been some kind of jokey takes about that with Shahid Buttar running for, um, Nancy Pelosi's seat, where it's like, um, feudal titles where they die and you inherit all of their committee assignments and speaker of the house and stuff. <laughs> well, that's, everyone knows the, the U S house of representatives runs by the same rules as Horcruxes. Right. right exactly. The elder wand, the cloak of invisibility. It's the exact, you have to, you have to defeat the current owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Do I get extra points for a Harry Potter reference? I feel like we're split down the middle because I deduct you points, but I feel like Ken would add you points. It's the uh, generation (laughs) of the vibe. I'm kind of anti-Potter. 
We're gonna do an episode about uh, it at some point. Oh, <laughs> please, okay, no, you have to no. Please have me on that. No, because our campaign, um, we do a competition. <laughs> All right, this is pretty ridiculous, but I'm gonna tell you, we um we do a quarterly house cup. And we've all been sorted. I'm Hufflepuff. And we do points when people do really cool stuff for the campaign. And then um, at the end of this quarter, it'll be our first one. And the winning house gets to decide a fun campaign fundraiser activity. I think if Hufflepuff wins, as I expect, uh, that we're going to do a laser tag and get the local laser tag place to um, Mm. donate part of the money. Okay, I have to say, this is actually very adorable and I love it. I'm um, divided because I hate Harry Potter, but I love laser tag. <laughs> uh, that's fair. And maybe if Slytherin wins, we'll probably... Laser tag is such a Hufflepuff one to pick, too, because if Slytherin won, it would probably be like a paintball or something, and that would people would get hurt, and I don't want people to get hurt. Well, yeah. you're definitely already default invited back for our critiques of Harry Potter from a leftist perspective episode. <laughs> Oh yeah, my all, god, all, please. All of our guests are more than free to just drop us a line to come on again if they'd like. I have to be in that episode. We that that's that I just watched all uh all eight movies like a week ago. So Jesus. yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> I okay, I can yeah. go into length about look, Harry okay. Potter. Okay, no, back to okay, back to politics. We'll we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll do Harry Potter next time, but to get yeah. this episode back on track, uh the what I wanted to ask about next was um I think a lot of people who serve in the military, uh even if they eventually have a leftist perspective, they tend to come out with interesting, not necessarily wrong by any means, but different from a lot of other people on the left perspectives about national security. And I think you in particular have a very interesting kind of platform on national security, and I'd love for you to get into it. Oh, yeah. I'm, and I'm not sure how much you've already uncovered and what will surprise mm-hmm. you, but um, very. I haven't heard any candidates really talking about some of the things I'm talking about on this. Yeah, so, I agree. So uh, ag- agreeing to support uh, and align with the international criminal courts uh, is mm. one of the primary things I think our country has to do. Right, because we have a law in the books right now where mm-hmm. we can invade the hog if the ICC or the ICJ imprisons a U.S. guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's people in this country uh, who've led this country and lied to this country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, almost a million Iraqis and Afghanis dead. Um, Jesus. We, mm-hmm. We've killed a lot of people who didn't deserve to be killed. Democratic leaders, you know, uh, deposed coups around the world mm-hmm. and um people even at the highest levels of this government deserve to face justice and not just that but schools full of children school buses yeah. hospitals those people deserve justice um and for sure so yes any any no you know the, the south koreans put one of their most recent presidents in jail for 17 years for corruption and i want to bring this country for the first time to an era of true accountability regardless of someone's wealth or power absolutely mm-hmm. you know whether it be someone sending someone like george w bush or donald rumsfeld or dick cheney to the icc or making sure that people can't buy their way out of criminal troubles yeah. mhm I think it was Chomsky who said that if the Nuremberg laws were uh, put in place for American presidents, everybody since Eisenhower would be in jail. And I I agree with that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting to talk about this from a national security perspective, because I think a lot of people don't 
think of it that way. They think of it maybe from a perspective of justice, mm-hmm. or if they disagree with it, maybe they think of it from a perspective of, you know, witch hunt or whatever. And uh, it's, it's, it's kind of hard for people to make that connection sometimes. Maybe you could lay out a little bit why not holding people accountable in international courts in our country affects our entire national security. That's a really good point. Um, and I'll also say with the ICC, they overwhelmingly prosecute uh, African individuals and that inequity needs to be addressed. Oh, absolutely. Because the Western nations are bankrolling it. Yep. <laughs> Our national security should be a priority. It absolutely should. And once elected, I am going to work to be put on the Homeland Security Committee so that I can make climate change the top priority of our Homeland Security Committee. Because that's a true threat. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it really can be brought to the level of the individual. We all see clearly that we've made a lot of enemies around the world. Mm-hmm. And that does not help our national security. Overthrowing democratically elected leaders. And that's the, the irony of over the last few decades, we've been told, especially in the Reagan era, that if we brought capitalism to other countries, they would move towards democracy and pro-human rights policies. Mm-hmm. While we have wars and, and, and military activities around the world to accumulate more wealth as a nation. Billy Bragg lyric, uh, freedom's just another word for nothing left to sell. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Uh, I like that. Yeah, that's accurate. So to me, it just seems like the most common sense policy you could possibly have. If you want to have a safe nation, Mm -hmm. show that you're willing to follow the rules and be ethical. Don't go around making enemies everywhere. And capitalism is not a substitute for that because China is state-sponsored capitalism and authoritarian. It's authoritarian still. Yes. Also, I just want to throw this out there. One of people's favorite things to say when these arguments come up of like bringing capitalism and quote unquote democracy to these countries, capitalism has supposedly lifted more people out of extreme poverty than any other economic system. You'll hear this a lot from like libertarians in particular, I find. Do you know what extreme poverty is defined as? A dollar ninety a day, folks. A dollar ninety a day. This is an arbitrary distinction. Capitalism has not lifted people out of shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I don't like to use the term socialist for myself or for any of these policies, even mm-hmm. though I'm listed as a Washington, endorsed as a Washington State Berniecrat. And the reason is that your definition of socialist depends on how you feel about it. Uh, A conservative's definition of socialist is something we all agree is bad, and uh, a democratic socialist definition of socialism is something we all agree is good. So it's not really the most useful, but I get it. Humans need labels. It helps us navigate the world. But just to return to the national security side of it, we've lied to the world, and other countries use that as an excuse for doing terrible things. If you don't hold the moral high ground, you're in no position to lead or to tell other people how they should behave. Yeah. Yeah. It's a moral and ethical and pragmatic thing. And that's something, especially like I said, in a in a red leaning district, I talk about both of those things. You know, I talk about the morals and the ethics and the values, but I also talk about the pragmatism because this year our defense spending will be almost a trillion dollars. Yeah. Meanwhile, the cost of tuition-free public universities and trade schools would be less than 10% of what we're spending on defense this year. You know, so um, uh, hopefully that's sufficiently. I know I'm sighing. I got, I got, <laughs> I don't, this is a particular subject that really gets yeah, me down. I, it's, 
it's dark. It's heavy. Mm-hmm. I had someone on Facebook um, when I was criticizing our current war policies. I had someone um, say, where were you when Obama was doing drone strikes? I didn't hear you then. I was like, because you didn't know me then. Because <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was like 24 to like 18. And like, I was much younger. And I was, they had no public profile. You did not. So you would have no way to have heard me criticize Obama <laughs> because I did. <laughs> just yeah. like you know in a room with your buddies over a beer maybe <laughs> you don't right? know me you don't know me stranger on the internet how dare you <laughs> oh yeah I, th- I think that whole thing stems from there's this tendency for conservatives to project their because conservatives can't critically support anyone they, they either hate them or uncritically support them and support whatever they do and so they project that like that's how all of politics works and they project that onto democrats and like so therefore in their minds democrats support everything obama did and hate everything trump did yeah it's not there's a lot of weird psychology wrapped up in all of this yeah and we can get into that but yeah yeah i want to mention the national security thing i also so, so beyond the icc uh i support imposing sanctions on saudi arabia mm. Uh, because of the mm-hmm. genocide in Yemen. You know, same goes for China. China is actually killing Muslims in mass right now. They they mm-hmm. um they kidnap them and they take DNA samples and they do full body scans and they take every bit of data they can. It's very it's terrifying. Um mm-hmm. We shouldn't be trading with countries that do those things. I, I hate that that has to be said. It should not have to be said that a country that's, I mean, I, and I, it's, a, it's something that makes me a little emotional. I, um, when I was active duty Air Force, I, you know, saw those pictures of kids who had been hit in drone strikes by, by the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, I, I just, I knew I had to get out of the military. I didn't want to be a part of that. I didn't want to, even if it was, you know, I don't know if anyone here is familiar with obedience to authority by Stanley Milgram. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the experiment where people press a button and believe they're electrocuting someone, but they have someone in a lab coat behind them. And uh, Milgram, uh, like me, was uh, Jewish and his family had fled Eastern Europe under the Nazis. And so, you know, obedience to authority was particularly interesting to him. And they found that people had a mental disconnect the further they were from pressing the button. Mm -hmm. And even if I wasn't the one ordering the strikes or, you know, shooting the gun, it's not okay. And that's part of why I'm here running for office now, because this needs to change. I I, want to tell jokes for the rest of my life. I I love stand-up comedy. That's my my favorite (laughs) thing to do. I think that's been obvious by how much we've kind of... Mm Yeah, run the rails and laughed on this episode. <laughs> and and, and, and yeah. I, I just want to get this shitty joke out here. You know, <laughs> you're a stand-up comedian uh, and you're running for Congress. I think you'll find good company there. Uh, yeah, they're all a joke. I had to say it. I had to. Leia, on the other <laughs> hand, is not a professional stand-up comedian. <laughs> no, obviously not. <laughs> You're you're all funnier than most of the comics I know who do it for a living. So thank you. Oh, that sounded mean. Well, no, we're allowed to be mean. Comics are allowed to be mean to each other. That's allowed. Um. That's that's in the rules, I think. <laughs> the rules um, of comedy. I, okay, I wanted to sit, talk one more kind of national security or homeland security topic, which is you make some ties between our national security and climate change, which is another thing that uh, not every candidate is willing to sort of say, but I think is relevant and important. And I would love for you to sort of get into what you believe in that regard and why you tie those concepts together in your platform. Yeah, 
Great question. So I like Homeland Security takes up a lot, a much bigger um, breadth than people realize. Because a lot of people say, how do you even get a degree in a master's in Homeland Security? And uh, it, it covers FEMA. FEMA is part of the Department of Homeland Security. Um, a lot of anti-human trafficking efforts are part of the Department of Homeland Security. Um, so my main focuses while earning my degree were in emergency management and human trafficking. Mm-hmm. And so there's a House uh, Committee on Homeland Security, and as you know, our military budget's ballooning. They're stealing from our emergency management budget, and we mm. continue to see it, it's yeah. just impossible to ignore the trends that more disastrous and expensive and deadly natural disasters are happening as a result of climate change. I'm a so I'm a member of the Sunrise Movement. And that's right. I will say it everywhere I go. You you guys aren't the sun. You all you all aren't the Sunrise Movement. And I'm saying that the Sunrise Movement's the group I'm the most proud to be a part of. And and that's because I'm I just appreciate the work that they're doing so much. Mm-hmm. We had two climate strikes out here in Spokane in the last few months. Governor Jay Inslee spoke at one of them. Uh, there were 2,500 people at, in attendance. I was the only other person in politics allowed to speak. They said no politicians. But we'll let Chris go up there because he is here. He's at the meetings. He's helping us do this. And uh, Jay Inslee, because he's the governor. So, of course, they're going to let him. So, you know, addressing climate change is, is really, you know, close to my heart. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to become worse and worse. And while we dump hundreds of billions of dollars into bombs and killing people around the world and defending um, you know, Coca-Cola's interests while they murder labor leaders around the world, we have people in this country who um, are going to face even worse circumstances than Hurricane Katrina. It's going to be worse, mm-hmm. and we need to do something mm-hmm. about it. And that's a threat to our national security. Like I said, even human trafficking, emergency management, you know, those, those are two subjects. I actually wrote my capstone project on human trafficking in particular, but those are two of the greatest threats that we face. The, the other threat we face is just the third one is, is ourselves, that we just continue to go around the world making enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, and even conservatives mm-hmm. I speak to agree with that. And, and that's, that's um, we deserve someone in, in Congress and people in Congress who are willing to say, I'm not going to vote for this budget that gives almost a trillion dollars to defense spending while you cut spending for emergency management. Yes. We're not going to do it. We need, we're not letting another Hurricane Katrina happen because I guarantee you if it happened in LA or if in, the, in the Hollywood Hills in some wealthy neighborhood, those folks would be fine. But it's hurting the people most in need. And that's why, you know, maybe it's uh, there's a, there could be a lot of different reasons. But um, injustice is just something that, that really gets to me when, when things feel unfair. And it is not right watching the deck continue to get stacked because you know what? People living on the streets don't have lobbyists. People mm-hmm. who live in neighborhoods that are underserved and will be most devastated by climate change, they don't have lobbyists and they deserve representation. And that extends to my district as well. We, you know, it's, it's worldwide. It, it, it extends far beyond the limits of any of this and down to our, our neighborhood right here as we continue to have winters that go on longer and longer and more extreme heat in the summers and more extreme cold in the winters as we have homeless people on the streets of Spokane who are going to freeze to death this winter. They will. Veterans, our, our incumbent claims to care about veterans. How many folks come back with PTSD and fall into substance abuse or alcohol, alcoholism? And they will. People I have met at warming shelters here are going to freeze on the streets this winter, and it is 
only made worse by climate change and by our refusal to build infrastructure that helps people. Um, I've met people in law enforcement and in work around this neighborhood, around this town, around this district who were given methamphetamine at 12 years old by their parents. Those are real people. That's just frightening. Mm-hmm. And, and then we have, we have a mayor who just got elected and our representative in Congress, my representative, who believe that these people should just die. That's what they're saying. They're condemning these people. When they cut the funding for our emergency management, when they cut the funding for our warming shelters, when they cut the funding for our people and those in need, they're condemning people to death. They may not say it, and it may not come through their uh, incredibly manicured public image, but they mean it, and that's what the effect of the policy is. Manicured public image. That's a good term. <laughs> Thank you. Could be a band name. <laughs> uh, oh, I like it. What a bummer. I know. Let's get into something that might lift the tone of this episode a little bit, at least, <laughs> which is legislation that you're proposing and how it's going to help people at home in your district and around the country. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm proposing two pieces of legislation right now. Now, both of them, um, I'm working with other future lawmakers. Are the fo- are you are you all familiar with um, brand new Congress? Yep, very. Yep. So I'm in the last stage for endorsement, the final step before the full approval for uh, for their endorsement for being on the 2020 slate. That's very exciting. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're um, very in support of the brand new Congress slate. And uh, we've already had a couple people on from them. And we really brand new Congress is amazing. So I'd be looking forward to seeing your name on there. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. Um, I'm, I feel incredibly lucky. I think they got something like 20 or 30,000 applications uh, this time around, and they're doing great work. They're doing what the Democratic Party should be doing, but um, mm, doesn't have the absolutely. guts to do because they're in corporate pockets. Uh, so I'm working with other future lawmakers to co-sponsor bills before we even get to Congress. And it's, it's really exciting. We're pledging that we will support these. And, and we're working together to, um, you know, write out the letters and say, this is what the House resolution that we, we put out is going to look like. And this is what that's going to look like. And um, hopefully get 30, 40, 50 candidates on board for um, a version of what I'm about to mention, uh, because we want to we're you know, we're we're getting that experience on the fly. You know, imagine mm-hmm. if um, I, it's something I think I'd like to see more candidates doing too, mm-hmm. is show this is what I'm going to bring. And I already have 30 other people on board, maybe even some potential sep, uh, Senate candidates and maybe even sitting representatives. But uh, I'm proposing the Income Justice Act and the Marketplace of Ideas Act. And the Income Justice Act, uh, it has a few different facets. And like I said, expect it to evolve because I'm working with other candidates to see how we can, you know, get broad support for this, but keep the heart of it true. So right now, what I'm proposing is a 50, 51% executive employee ownership of all publicly traded companies. It also includes $15 minimum wage tied to inflation. Nice. It also includes the baby bond, which is a $1,000 US treasury bond given to every child born in the United States, which accrues interest over the course of their lifetimes, becomes accessible mm. to them when they turn 18, making every baby a trust fund baby. Oh. <laughs> And the other facet, which I love the baby bond, but this one might be my favorite, uh, a cap on executive pay. Mm. A lot of people in corporate America want a cap on executive pay. Mm. That's great. 
Yes. They're in an arms race. I'm proposing 100 times the lowest paid employees pay, but that includes total compensation, which could, depending on how it all gets written out, uh, and I love transparency. Isn't transparency fun? So this is really the meat and potatoes of it all. Uh, it could lead to CEOs becoming hourly uh, wage earners. <laughs> I'm really oh. okay with that. Oh, man. Oh, heaven forbid. <laughs> oh, no. Have to actually punch the clock like the rest of us? <laughs> Jeez. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Jeff Bezos has to submit an overtime application so we can like <laughs> sip mimosas with Bill Gates or something. He doesn't even know what that is. And I'm proposing total compensation too. So that includes if they have a company car, those kind of things. Um, oh, nice, yeah. nice. Yeah. And so that's the Income Justice Act. The other one is the Marketplace of Ideas Act. And that's part of, I guess, I, we do have a strong plan to win this district. And a lot mm -hmm. of it's going to be bringing over support from folks who just aren't being heard at all, even by, you know, Republicans who aren't being heard by the Republican Party and even libertarians. In fact, uh, the local paper had a cover story. I can't believe as a progressive outsider, 27 year old working class guy, the biggest local paper just ran a cover front page cover uh, of me and our Republican incumbent talking about the race. It said taking on the champ, which is funny to me because, um, you know, she's pretty terrible. And I don't yeah. think she's especially good at what she does. She just hasn't had a real challenger. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, we're getting a lot of this attention. And and part of how we're going to be able to... Oh, but uh, the state chair of uh, the Washington State Libertarian Party, he actually reached out to me and said, congratulations on being on the paper. I speak to him occasionally. And... Um, you know, it, where we're able to unite is finding the Venn diagrams of different beliefs, whether it be a Republican or, uh, you know, a socialist alternative type person or a libertarian, anyone. I think one of the things this campaign really brings to the table is finding overlap in beliefs. You know, I, I met with an anti-vaxxer recently who supports that racist state representative. And, um, you know, what I said to her, I, yeah, I, I said unequivocally. I believe to attend public schools, you should, your, your children should be required to get some vaccinations. But what I'll say is, mm -hmm. I don't take money from big pharma, and big pharma shouldn't be deciding what those are. It should be nonpartisan organizations. Mm -hmm. And I think that's fair, mm -hmm. that they shouldn't be funding the, and you know what, that person agreed too. And so that's, that's how we move forward. And that's, that's something I think a lot of progressives miss out on, is they don't realize that you actually, you can find common ground that nobody else in the political game has, except for progressives, with every, with every one of these little groups. Absolutely. I yeah. would say that that's something yeah, we I passionately believe in on this podcast, is bringing together different parts of the outsider left even people that we might not agree with on every particular issue and not even necessarily the quote unquote left all of them. Like, you know, we, we couldn't agree more. I think that there are a lot of people in this country that want change mm -hmm. and like real meaningful, progressive change, fundamental change, their lives. And anybody who feels that way is a potential ally for this show and a potential ally for your campaign. It sounds like. Absolutely. Uh, well, and so this this next you know bill I'm, I plan on proposing has a lot of crossover appeal with folks from the Libertarian Party to the Green Party to the Working Families Party, and that's the Marketplace of Ideas Act, which institutes national ranked choice voting and also guarantees ballot access for third and fourth and even fifth party candidates on ballot on national federal ballots. Yeah, nice. Yep, just guaranteed. So congrats, Working Families Party. We they may have only they may have point zero zero one percent of the vote, but you're get your candidate, whoever you pick, if you have two hundred people show up to your national convention and they pick someone to be your presidential candidate, 
well, congrats. You're you're on the ballot. Ballot access is definitely nice. something we've been talking about as a mm-hmm. podcast and the weird rules. Yeah, I think this still sounds amazing. Honestly, this is very appealing. Yeah, fantastic platform so far. Thank you. Uh, well, the Libertarian Party took the Democrats and Republicans to court a few years ago for having a duopoly on debates because mm-hmm. the Republicans and Democrats will not let their candidates on single party debate stages if they do any debates with people from third parties. That's wild. I, I didn't know that. That's that's wild. That is wild. Yeah, that's there's candidates up there who would love the chance, who would be totally open to it. Tell me Bernie Sanders wouldn't be open to it. Of course mm-hmm. he would. Course. He did a town hall with Ted Cruz. But to be on the Democrat debate stages, you cannot. And that's ridiculous. And so we need to find ways around that. Now, one of the more ambitious uh, goals of the Marketplace of Ideas Act is to ban political TV ads. Mm. And mm. I know that one, that one, um, you know, it, it, it catches people's attention a little bit. You know, we already have rules about what can and can't go on TV. We need to go more to the system a lot of other countries do where we give candidates um, airtime. Give them, you know, I really liked the Green New Deal town hall uh, forum mm-hmm. that was done mm. uh, for the Democrats because it really gave each candidate a chance to substantively explain their platform. And we need to do that instead of these, you know, 30 second commercials that Mike Bloomberg gets to dump billions of dollars into or not billions, sorry, millions, but not millions yet. of not dollars yet. into. <laughs> not he could. <laughs> But, you know, he dumps millions of dollars into these. Well, we have people in need in our country. Give these candidates a half hour of uninterrupted airtime on public television. Yeah. Our, the, the political yeah. industry is a problem in this country. It's expected this election that five to ten billion dollars will be spent. You could do so much good with that money. But instead, they're buying Facebook ads and TV mm-hmm. ads and advisors and consultants, a whole industry. You know, also with this nonstop now election cycle that we have, we're just, oh, it's always election season. You know, it gives a lot less time for our lawmakers to actually do their jobs, you know, because now their job is just to be a professional fundraiser and professional campaigner. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to end that. Everybody. Yeah. Legislators should be legislating, not endlessly fundraising and campaigning. And I want to see um, where the interest is with other you know, potential future lawmakers about including in the income ju- or sorry, in the um, in the Marketplace of Ideas Act, uh, a portion about um, making it so you can't campaign for more than a certain number of months before an election. You know, I mean, we, we want to make sure there isn't too much of an incumbent advantage. But in most countries, elections last a few weeks, you know, the, the campaigning and all of that. Yeah, I mean, you know, Trump started his 2020 reelection campaign literally the day he was nominated. He was ahead of the curve, too. I announced last May. Mm. <laughs> I'm not going to be on the ballot until August. Yeah, it's becoming very, very common now for the announcements to just get earlier and earlier. And uh, it, it kind of has to stop at some point. This yeah. arms race is ridiculous. Yeah. Well, and that's what you know I'm, I'm working to do. And, and so I, I really appreciate you uh, bringing those up and giving me a chance to talk about some of the, the really big changes that I hope to bring um, yes. to Congress. And I know that this race is winnable, It's, but it's going to take national support too. It's going to take people saying, like I mentioned earlier, you know, whoever the president is, even if it's Joe Biden or Amy Klobuchar, who, you know, the most conservative Democrat on that stage, they're not going to veto a single payer Medicare for all bill if it makes it through Congress. I really don't believe they would. Mm-hmm. If there's enough support for it, then they're really going to struggle to worm their way out of it. That's for sure. 
So I, I agree. We, we have to fight for a better 2020 on every level at every office. And Chris, it has been wonderful speaking to you today about your campaign for Washington's 5th District. Absolutely. We look forward to having you on again for sure. And we're very excited to follow your campaign because I think you're going to be a tough opponent to beat. And I think that the things that you're proposing are very interesting. And I also think that your life and experiences are very interesting and are going to speak to a lot of people. Yeah, but uh, hope you can hope you can get further with your campaign. Is there anything you want to you want to kind of plug campaign? Website yeah, give us your website, Twitter. Yeah, uh, Twitter is really where it's at. I want to encourage everybody to check out at Real Army, A-R-M-I. And um, I didn't, when I made that Twitter handle, I didn't make the connection with um, Real Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> it's Real Army is my Twitter handle, and I'm keeping it that way. And I promise everybody my, that Twitter is going to get a lot more interesting after the 2020 election, regardless of the results. So definitely follow It's already it. a pretty spicy feed, so... Oh, it's gonna it's gonna be a much more spicy boy. I promise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> also, but I'll jump on Twitter right now. I believe it's your pinned post is your recent campaign video, or at least it's your top post. Yeah, and it's 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 a very high quality video. Everybody, if you've listened to this episode and you've had any interest in Chris, go watch the video. It's really good. You know, we had a local um, African studies professor who he shot the whole thing and he put in so many hours. It, 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 it turned out amazing. Um, so if anybody wants is interested in, I don't know, hiring him or something, I guess uh, they can hit me up, too, because he's awesome. And there's a four minute mm -hmm. version of the ad. We had to get it cut it down to two minutes. Um, we're also mm -hmm. working on a documentary that he's going to film about um, an ad campaign that we ran that we're going to run again for the documentary. So we ran an ad campaign targeted to Trump supporters. And it mm -hmm. said, are you mad at Democrats? Give one a call. <laughs> and I took calls from angry <laughs> Trump supporters for a few days. And Ooh, that sounds like fun. The results might surprise you not to sound clickbaity, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll um, on it. <laughs> this was a social uh, experiment. The results are shocking. But And then also give us your website real quick. Armitageforcongress.com. A-R-M-I-T-A-G-E-F-O-R congress.com. And of course, all the links will be in the show notes, but I always like to get them out there in the episode as well. Yeah, and I want to mention too, um, I know that a lot of people say this, but um, even a dollar, we want to be able to show, you know, when, when my opponent calls this uh, impeachment a sham, or when she votes against marriage equality, or when she votes for multi-trillion dollar tax cuts for the rich, and uh, also for cutting SNAP benefits and, and for, for people in need, you know, she mm. feels like the consequences are never going to come to her. Like She's just going to be able to walk mm. this race every election. Uh, anyone here familiar with Richard Ojeda? Yeah. Yeah, he was Very. The, he was one of the first ones to announce for 2020 Democratic and then he dropped out just as quickly, right? Yeah, I mean, I've gotten to speak to him a few times and he's he's given me some some positive stuff on Twitter. He like he when he was running for uh, for Senate, his opponent was named Carol Miller and he used to say, "How dare you, Carol Miller?" And um that's how I feel right now about <laughs> my opponent. You know, "How dare you, Kathy McMorris Rogers?" And so I want <laughs> I want to encourage people, you know, take channel that outrage, channel that anger into action, whether it be, I mean, you know, our campaign needs help um, and support, but, yeah. uh, you know, we all have to be involved. And um, these people just feel like they're going to be able to walk these elections year after year. And the only language they speak is losing their elections. So <laughs> I appreciate y'all having me on. Oh, yeah. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. It's been an absolute pleasure. Chris Armitage running for Washington's 5th District once again. The links will be in the show notes. Go check him out. 
Chris, you've been so wonderful. Thank you again. Appreciate it. Uh, we have been faithfully not safe for wonks. Play a rose. I'm Kennedy Cooper. Uh, my name's Drake. See ya. Bye-bye.